This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Rachel, who does he wind up marrying? Leah. Leah. Is he happy about that? No. Not so happy about that. Um, now, Leah is feeling uh, unloved. She's not so happy about it because, after all, he really wants Rachel. He wound up marrying both of them. So now he has two wives, Rachel and Leah, but Leah is feeling unloved. So if you look down on uh, the page you're on, you look at line 31, it says, Hashem saw that Leah was unloved. By the way, it wasn't that she was unloved, but she was certainly feeling unloved. Jacob loved her. We discussed that yesterday. So he opened her womb, but Rachel remained barren. Okay, so here goes Leah. You ready? Leah's going to start having kids. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuven. And she had declared, because Hashem has discerned my humiliation, for now my husband will love me. <laughs> so she named her first son Reuven. What's Reu mean? To see. To see, Reu, and Ben, son. See, I gave you a son. Love me. That's what she's saying. I gave you a son. Rachel didn't give you nothing. I gave you a son. Love me. Sad, right? Pretty sad, isn't it? And that's the first tribe of Israel named after such a sad situation of Leah feeling unloved and now she's naming children after hopefully getting love from Yaakov. But it gets worse. Look at the next line. And she conceived again and she bore a son. And because Hashem has heard that I am unloved, He has given me this one also. And she called his name Shimon. Shimon means, the word is from Shema, because God heard Shema. He heard. And what's on with Nayan means poverty. Yeah, Ani. So literally it means hear my poverty. I'm an unloved wife. Hear my poverty, Jacob, please love me. Sad, right? Right. So that's the second one. Okay, that's the second child. By the way, if anyone wants a lid, I just found some Ishtar lid. Keep this. Here. So, um, third, the next line, line thirty-four. Again, she conceived and bore sons. At this time, my husband will become attached for me, for I've borne him three sons. Therefore, says he, capital he. This is this is all Kabbalistic, but. She basically named him Levi. You know what Levi means? It means to escort. Levi means to escort. Uh, Livui or Leviah is escorting the dead. That's a funeral. It's called Leviah. Livui is uh, when you escort someone. Uh, you understand? It means to be escorted. And why did she name him this? She said, well, after all, I'm carrying Reuben and I'm carrying Shimon. I obviously need Levi to escort me wherever I go. Clear? So that's Levi. So the third son's also named for her being sad about her situation. Because who do you think Jacob was escorting to the parties? Rachel. And now he's going to have to escort Leah because she needs help. And after all, she gave him three sons. Shouldn't he surely, shouldn't he surely love, love Rachel? Shouldn't he surely love Leah now? So, 
you have to understand something. Leah's a very sad lady. But this didn't start with her being married to Jacob. It started when she was a child. You see, when Leah was a child, she knew that she was destined to marry Jacob's evil twin brother, whose name was Asaph. Remember Jacob's brother's Asaph? She was destined to marry Asaph, this evil man. And she wasn't happy about that. And she spent her entire first part of her life till she was married to Jacob crying over the fact that she was going to be married to Asaph. So let's look at Leah's life so far. She spends the first half crying over being promised to marry this evil man. She spends the second half crying over the fact she's not loved by the one she has. She probably would have rather married Asaph, the evil man, at least maybe he would have loved her. You know, rather than being married to Jacob where she feels unloved. By the way, Jacob did love her. She's just feeling unloved in the situation. You can understand. A woman doesn't want to play second fiddle to another woman. You know, Jacob slept in Rachel's, Rachel's tent. Clear? So, this woman, and here's our point, this woman... Leah is not self-generated in her well-being. Where does her well-being come from? It comes from outside. Her well-being is only going to be generated by outside of her. Well, the first part of her life, destined to marry an evil man, did she have any well-being? She had no well-being. She cried her eyes out. It says it actually affected the way she looked. All those years of crying completely changed her physiognomy. Big word? The story your face tells about the pain in your life and what you've been through, or the joy in your life and what you've been through. Uh, It's called the physiognomy. So, it even affected her physiognomy all those years. I mean, obviously it would. And then she marries and she's like, blown out again. This lady can't win. But the main thing is that she's her, she's being generated from out there, not from in here. But isn't this a lot of our stories? Of don't a lot of us have stories about you know external circumstances that have affected our well-being as human beings? Isn't that everyone's story? We all have a story to tell. There's no one without some story to tell about things that happen to them, family situations, birth order, parental uh, ability or attention giving or even abusive situations. Everyone's, everyone's got a story to tell about things that happen to them. Broken hearts. Every person in this room probably has their heart in someone's back pocket somewhere that got crushed in some situation or another, teenage years or any time. And what we've done by allowing those things to have such a a profound effect on who we are today is because we're generated from, we're letting the world at large generate us, which puts us in a very vulnerable position. Because if you're generated from without, that means at any given moment, 
someone could judge you, insult you, give you a dirty look, make you feel lesser. You're always in a precarious situation when you're generating from when your well-being is generated from out there. So you wait for a compliment or some kind of a, something to build you up in general, and you certainly avoid strangers because they're just a total risk altogether. And the only safe people you know are the people you know. So you'll notice you'll gravitate towards them at a party and uh, various other places because that's the way it is. Because people, unfortunately, default to generating from without. What's your name? David. I forgot to get everyone's name, so I'll do it slowly. Yeah. Um, Hi, sometimes David. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes I find that I'd rather gravitate towards people that you know. There's a line from Finding Nemo, and he, uh, there's a what? There's a line from the movie Finding Nemo, and he's basically trying to explain to the other fish why he doesn't want to hang out with her, and he says, it's because I like you that I don't want to be with you. And it's kind of, I don't know, out of permanence in this situation. Yeah. Yes, and also when someone finds out more about you, you start feeling more vulnerable because they may find out the hidden secret that you're not okay, right? That's why so many people pull out of relationships when they start getting good. Very strange. I mean, if a Martian watched people in relationships and sees it's getting good, the Martian says, Hey, isn't this beautiful? Why suddenly, the next time the Martian checks in to look at what's going on on Earth, they are already broken up? Wasn't it going good? It's getting too close for comfort, and I'd rather start again. You know, you get people who jump all the time. There's a separate thing, they, they jump from country to country, city to city. I've got a student right now, he's lived in like maybe. 20 countries, 15 countries. And what happens is as soon as people start getting to know him enough, he jumps to another country. And uh, so I'm really working with him to stay here. Because every, every few days he's ready to go again. And uh, But, you know, his son who he left behind when he jumped out the first time, uh, you know, 25 years ago, actually now is an observant Jew living in Jerusalem and they're now roommates after you know the guy made nothing of himself he's now a roommate in a room half the size and uh, so sad but now he's finally back together with his son his roommates in Israel and he's ready to go again to the next place now how old would you say is Sphere? 65 yeah, it's the same syndrome. Scary, right? <laughs> so, so we should all uh, we should all watch for that. Yeah. So, obviously, we all come into contact with a lot of people, other family, other social students. So, if so, I guess my question is, how if these judgments? How do you use them to better yourself? How do you use them to 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 reflect on yourself? 
Compliments don't require that question. Compliments will always make you feel better. The problem's the opposite. It's very hard to use insults to better yourself. Very hard. Insults are there to knock you down, not to build you up. They may be true. They may be true about a flaw that you have that you have to work on. They probably are at least true about a flaw you feel you have, whether you have it or not. But listen up. I don't want to focus on this, guys. We're focusing on the negative side of what Judaism says not to do, meaning don't allow the world at large to be the source of your well-being. Rather, what's the positive side? What's the that's the negative side that the world generates your well-being? Yeah, that you decide. Meaning, we have to become self-generated in our well-being. Stop caring whether Rabbi Glazer, that would be me, David, was it? What's your name? No, I know your name, yeah, your name, in the green. I forgot your name. Yeah, you. Chaim. Chaim. We met before, right? Chaim, you don't care. Stop caring whether I think you're holy enough or something. <laughs> I'm not thinking whether you're holy enough. I'm thinking whether you're thinking of I'm holy enough. I'm, I'm, uh, whatever I'm thinking is irrelevant. What's important is that you, Chaim, are generated from your greatest your greatest hits your greatest specialness everyone take a moment take a moment and think about one of your good traits of all your good traits think about one could be any any good trait okay so allow that good trait to be something of that's essential to who you are as a human being and allow it to kind of spin like a top and create this like centrifugal energy within you generate from that that'd be something to generate from and now you have many good traits to generate from but generate from your good points so when you're generating from that good space that good point so then the world at large it's irrelevant because you're self-generated that's the point to be self-generated uh, one sec forgot your name Yona Arya what was your name when I met you though? what? Yeah, Leon. Yona Arya how you been? good to see you again welcome back how did Leon know that? how did she know that? I don't know I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's Rashi. When you click on the word, when it says her eyes were soft, when you click on that, it said Rashi says her eyes were soft from the tears she had cried over being promised to Asa. Could be Rashi says. Uh, I could check that real quick. Is that just an information question? Yeah. Yeah. So. She wasn't the prophet, but she? No, but there were people hanging around who knew things. So. Um, he said that she had prophecy. 
I forget it was kind of a random spot where it says ah here it is yeah uh, the older one was Leah line 16 Rashi says uh, 16 uh, is that Rashi oh, they, they even quote it in English because she wept constantly in prayer that she not have to marry Asaph People used to say that since Rebecca has two sons and Lavan has two daughters, the elder daughter would be married to the elder son, while the younger daughter was destined to marry the younger son. Uh, it, this was a saying. Rashi says it was a saying going around, because they had two, and the others had two, so obviously these two should marry those two. And she, of course, that's so cool, by the way. That's so cool. I was taking it much heavier, like it was a real deal that she was supposed to marry Asaph. How many of us in this room have been generating from something someone said, things people used to say? You know, a little, uh, you know what I'm talking about? He's nodding. Anyone else have things people used to say and you're still generating from there, or at least trying to fight from generating from there? Things little people just used to say about you. You know, maybe in fun or in jest or even making fun, you know, God forbid, that became set in. And you try to work your way out ever since from such <laughs> This was just people saying, you know, they have two sons, they have two daughters. The older married the older one, the younger married. And she was just like, she was probably like, stop, stop, you know. <laughs> but in, you know, as soon as she got alone in her room, she was like, "God, please, don't let it be." You know, until it affected her entire. What? Asa, yeah, Asa was older, and she was the older. They were both the older. Yeah. All right. Um, I have a, another question. Yes. Um, What's your name? Eric. Eric. Welcome. After that, after she wept over her um, marrying her destiny, destiny, then why did she perceive destiny now? With perceived, perceived destiny. Yeah. Then why did she go along with the the tricking going on that her father tricked, switched the the bride? Well, I think that. Uh, oh, great question. Meaning, it sounds like it was destiny, really. Like meaning, Rachel seemed to buy into this to the point where she. Gave if, the, if, if oh, why'd she go along with the trick at all? Yeah, why'd she go along with the trick? If she knew that that Jacob loved Rachel, why did you know she bring herself? It's a good question. You have an answer for that. So the the reason is because um, I'm guessing is because she deeply didn't want to be the bearer of the mother of Ace's children. I thought Rachel would curse her. What? I thought Rachel would curse her. It says that Rachel knew the pain that she had. So Rachel went to her and Rachel gave her the, the password. She did. She was part of the whole thing because she... Yeah, Rachel, there was actually a password. Password? Meaning there was a signal to say that she, she was the right... clue that the father would do this. Yeah, they thought that Lavan might be up to no good. And so there was a little password that they created. And, uh, <laughs> and Rachel actually passed to Leah the password to let... Like she gave up Jacob for this. Yeah. Again, she married Jacob in the end also, but she did sacrifice majorly. 
to say one thing he was saying about what somebody tells you. And Rabbi Piskin said a great. Take that great positive trait you have and focus on that. Then put the negative one and carry it with the positive. Because if you just focus on that negative, all you're going to bring is more negative. But if you put that positive on your strongest, I mean the negative on your strongest positive, it'll carry it, you know, along. And and I thought, you know, it's something that Bradley Piskin shared. Was That's great. a nice one. Uh, Bradley? Yeah, like, this is, when I played basketball, we were, like, really good. And our coach said we were really terrible. And he worked us. And he said, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And that made us better. Made you better. Yeah, so what about that? That's like what you're saying not to hear. Yeah, I mean, there are parents like this. Like, if I abuse my child enough, they'll have to, you know, I I know one guy who uh, his mother never held him, so he shouldn't be a sissy. I mean, this really messed him up bad. This really messed him up bad. In fact, later when she was 72 years old, um, when she was 92, she was in a coma, and, but her body was just withering away, and she was like on machines, and her body was just withering away. She became like Skeletor, you know, it was like nasty. And the the other brothers were like, let's pull the plug already, you know, poor mom, you know. But she, she, uh, but the one who never got held, only one of them, she had tried this only with one of them to make sure he wouldn't be a sissy. She, uh, he refused to let them pull the plug. And so I asked him, I said, why don't you let them pull the plug on, you know, on your mom? You know, she's, this is terrible what she's going through. By the way, it's forbidden to pull the plug. But I was just asking him, why, why are you so, he was actually, I was telling him, I came there to give him strength. Say, so you're doing the right thing because Judaism forbids, you know, pulling the plug. Judaism doesn't say to put her on the machines in the first place, but once she's on the machines, you're not allowed to pull the plug. So, so I said to him, you know, what is it? You know what he said? He says, I'm hoping that if she were to come back to life, that she would hold me. He was he was like in his seventies, always waiting for that hug. Killed me to hear that. It was crazy. He has a very hard time with affection and with intimacy and with. Rabbi. <laughs> if I if I if I could just write a book on everything I hear in a day, it's just unbelievable. And that's more of a touching one, but things that uh, people should have been locked up for, you know, forever. You know. Ooh, her now, Baruch Hashem, amazing. You know, they came to me for help and they got it. You know, and they're doing really good. But wow. Okay. Um, wait, wait. Oh, another question. What's your name, by the way? John. John. Um, if I was if I was Leia and I felt unloved, why? I, the question is like, if Leia felt unloved, why did she con- like continuously have more kids with Yahweh? Like she fell in love and they had another son. She still fell in love and they had another son. Meaning, in 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 the world today, you don't keep having kids with someone who doesn't love you. You get out. I mean, I mean, <laughs> no, if you want to have if you want to have a child with someone, should you expect that person to love you back? If you have a relationship with them? Things have changed a lot over, you know. <laughs> in those days, things were very different. Your, your, your job in those days was to be 
the dutiful wife who who has his children while he tends the flock. You know, it was very different things going on back then. I'm not saying people didn't love each other. They certainly did. We know the whole story of Jacob and Rachel is very romantic. You know, they really, really loved each other. But Leah, at this point, just had one of those dutiful marriages where you just do your duty. You know, people go for those sometimes. You know, there are people. I meet men all the time, you know, say, I say, so what's the main thing you're looking for in a spouse? He says, low maintenance. (laughs) What is he really saying? He's saying, I don't want a relationship with this person. She does her thing. I'll do mine. Done. You know, I met a couple, uh, I met a couple where she came, they came to me for counseling and she just wanted out. She wanted a divorce. And then she dragged him into me to help get the divorce. And the, and she says, he's, he never says, I love you. And I look at the guy, he's a scoundrel, you know, he never say I love you. He said, I told her on our wedding day I love her. If anything changes, I'll let her know. <laughs> <laughs> You guys can't believe the wing nuts that I get. You know? I almost floored them. So it's crazy. No, but you know, who knows what he went through with his whole upbringing and everything he dealt with. And this is why it is so important that you deal with yourself now. Now is the time to deal with yourself, not in a bad mood. Obviously, if you're in a bad mood, just. Just be quiet for a few days. Don't try to analyze your life when you're in a low mood. Really bad idea. Okay, <laughs> you will only get bad findings about, you know, about yourself. Uh, in Judaism, we learn never, never analyze yourself when you're in a low mood. Now, if you say, "But I'm often in a low mood," what does that mean? I'm never going to be anal- never going to analyze myself. The answer is the reason why you're often in a low mood is because you keep analyzing yourself in a low mood, and you lock in your low mood, and you never come back up. You notice I'm not saying a bad mood? And you notice I'm not saying depressed, feeling depressed? Because it's not bad. Low moods are natural. And low moods are not depression. Depression is when your low mood gets locked in. What I call analysis paralysis. Where you get in a low mood and you start analyzing. Notice how you analyze more in a low mood, by the way. You get in a low mood, you start analyzing. And when you would have come out of it, you actually can lock it in. And once you get this secret of not analyzing in low moods, you will find yourself in a whole different situation. You'll find that you rise out of your low moods much quicker. If you take that advice alone, you got a lot out of this class. But let's get back to us so we can wrap it up because it's getting late. And... uh, just want to finish that point is do your work on yourself now it's very easy to be presentable when you're single and everyone to say what a great guy Um, but what happens unfortunately is if there's something poisonous inside of you from your upbringing or from what they said about you or all this all the issues you may have everyone has some poison in them what happens is if you don't deal with it when you're single it starts leaking out all over your spouse later. For some reason, you can't keep it in once you're married. And not only is it leaking your, all over your spouse, but it goes directly intravenously into your children. 
and your children. So do the world a favor, do your spouse to be a favor, and do your children a favor. Get your stuff worked out now. Don't wait for later. There's seminars on this, there's books on this. I personally run a seminar on this. Uh, it's a week seminar, a week long. It's going to be going on in August. People fly in for it every time. It's worth a lot more than the price of the ticket. Uh, by the way, uh, one day with Anthony Robbins which ain't going to do nothing for you except give you an amazing day and clarity of what life could be like if you were Anthony Robbins. Um, that's $2,000 for the day. Okay, so anyway, my, the seminar is six, it's four hours a night for six days straight. And we just finished on a Sunday night. We just finished the last one. I do it every two, three months. Anyway, you can send me an email, whyglazerdish.com if you want to find out more. Um, back to us. We just got to look at this last line and we're done. Line 35. She conceived again and bore a son and declared, this time let me gratefully praise Hashem. Therefore, she called his name Judah, which is the name Yehuda, which is from the word Todah, to give thanks. And she stopped giving birth. What happened to Leah all of a sudden? She cries for her whole first part of her life over this whole, whole probably some poem someone made up about her marrying Asaph. Then she cries over, you know, Reuven, Shim, and Levi, Mary, you know, he doesn't love me. All of a sudden, boom! Her life shifts in this major way, and she's given thanks. You know what happened? You know what shifted for her? This was the day that Leah, as our foremother, really becomes our foremother. Because before that, I mean, no offense, but it's kind of a loser situation, you know. It's kind of a loserish situation she's in throughout her whole life, the way she looks at herself. Suddenly, Leah becomes Leah, our foremother. Meaning, what did she start doing all of a sudden? She started to self-generate. She started self-generating. God's giving me these kids. I'm married to a superstar. You know, Jacob, forefather of Israel. You know, you know, I, I'm, he's very wealthy, by the way. You know. And he's not yet wealthy, but he's going to be very wealthy. And, and he's like, you know, like she's married to the greatest man on earth who actually does love her. You never hear again any issues of him loving her after this. Suddenly, Leah shifts where she generates from. Does she generate dangerously and precariously and vulnerably from others? Or does she generate powerfully and and uh, and resourcefully from herself. And this is where she starts to generate from within. And it's a lesson for all of us. Watch where you generate from. Start generating from within. So take that good trait and use that as one thing. I mean, there's lots of details in how to do this. It includes kind of going through the catacombs of one's past and seeing what's there, because you got to know what you've been generating from. You see, if you're generating from without, and there's some painful stuff inside, so chances are, whenever you do generate from within, it's often from the painful stuff. Well, you need to know what that stuff is, you know why? Because when you're generating the good stuff, what will happen is someone will say something to you, and it will knock you right into that bad stuff. 
Well, you need to know what the, those street signs look like. You understand? You need to be able to identify. First of all, you need to identify which people in your life send you there. Is it your dad? Is it an uncle? Is it a sibling that sends you there? So you got to be able to identify who are those people that send me into a tailspin. And secondly, what are those things that I self-identify with that send me into tail that that sorry that is the tailspin? You got to know the street signs. We have to know ourselves clearly. I often say to people when they have a new child, I say, they should, I bless your child that he should know himself and he should know his maker. Because until you know yourself, you don't know anybody else. Because everybody else is too dangerous. Because they may touch buttons and press soft spots and vulnerable places in me that I don't even really, I haven't even identified myself. I myself haven't identified those spots. So it's important to know your spots so that you see the street signs, you know what situations send you reeling. And you also need to know what are your positive points that you are now asserting and generating from so that you're generating powerfully in that unsusceptible way. You're not susceptible. David, I, I don't, I, I'm not judging you. You're fine in my book. I don't even know you, but you're already fine in my book. Okay? And I'm self-generated and I'm not feeling vulnerable in meeting you. Clear? Okay, everyone. Shalom. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.